Hi, I'm Dave Westberg, and you're listening to the Billboard Insider Podcast, where I interview industry leaders about trends impacting the U.S. out-of-home advertising business. This podcast is sponsored by Adomni. Adomni, increase your revenue today by listing your digital billboard on Adomni. Today's podcast guest is Gravik, the founder of Gray Outdoor, an independent out-of-home company with 260 billboard structures in North and South Carolina. Welcome to the show, Gray. Thanks a lot for having me, Dave. I really look forward to speaking with you and all your listeners. Gray, how'd you get into out-of-home? So I met a guy down at Wrightsville Beach many years ago, I guess it was 2007, and my background was actually in accounting, master's degree in accounting, and I had some experience in real estate, buying and selling properties, and I met a guy that his dad was in the business, and him and I started a company together. He was really good at building structures, and I was really good at the business side of it, so it was a a good segue into getting into the the billboard business. And a a funny story that I had that I wanted to say about when I was doing real estate, we would do these small bandit signs on the side of the road in the right-of-way, and we would get leads buying properties. We buy houses signs, and we started putting those up. So I had a little bit of experience about how the signs work because we would get tons (laughs) of leads off these signs. Yeah, but they're illegal. Uh, <laughs> we ended up paying probably seven thousand dollars worth of fines for these illegal signs. So, but I knew that they worked. So mm-hmm. to me, I, I knew that that medium would work mm-hmm. because we would get so many leads off of them. And it was more or less an investment. We paid the the fines, but we probably made more profit off of it. Probably like if you if you put a sign up and. You rented it for a little while, but then they said oh, you had to take it down, and you know, but you made more than what it cost you to get it up there. But learned a little bit about the business from that, and actually had rented a couple of billboards before we had started building them. In 2008, we had built our first sign, and it's just been growing ever since then. Good for you. Now you're not alone as having an accounting background. I I think Vince Miller, who runs DDI Media, he also is an accountant. I believe he was an accountant by trade. Is accounting a good prep for entering the out-of-home business? I definitely think it is. Not necessarily the nuts and bolts of the accounting, but a billboard asset is so much of almost the perfect asset for accounting. You know, it, it provides the cash flow. You get good depreciation for your acquisitions and your structures and, and building the structures. It's kind of just like a perfect asset where it provides a cash flow and a, and a good write-off. Mm-hmm. So it's really just, to me, it's the perfect accounting asset. Uh, when yes. I saw the, the whole business, I was like, this is perfect. You know, I can do it. I knew right away that I could do it. It, it just kind of fit. Uh, but definitely the experience in accounting and just understanding about how business worked and the numbers and, and being yes. able to, to make pro formas and things, I think it just really, it, it's definitely helped to be able to grow it. To me, there's a huge advantage. And that is if you're an accountant, you understand how to prepare financials. Financials are your feedback loop. When you build a business, financials is ultimately are your they're your report card. They're they're saying how you're doing. And to me, if you are a good accountant, you have a good feedback loop that's constantly telling you these signs are doing well or these signs aren't doing well or I have to change my business here. I don't know how someone can run a business. I, I see out home companies where people produce financials once a year. I, I don't know how you can effectively run your business without getting a monthly report card on how you're doing. Right. And to be able to, to grow, I mean, you can grow just organically out of your cash flow. But at a certain point, if you want to grow it, you've got to have good financing. And, and the bank loves somebody who has all their accounting organized. And their financial statements, if you can produce something immediately, 
if the bank calls you and says, hey, I, I need this report, I need that report, and you can produce it right away, the bank's mm-hmm. going to love you because they know that you have you have all your ducks in a row as far as the financials go and that you're organized enough to be able to handle anything that comes at you, whether it's COVID or other downturns that you would have to deal with. They know you've already run the numbers multiple times before they they have kind of done the due diligence for the bank. So they they tend to appreciate that, which you, you know, you're well aware of that as well. Absolutely. How has COVID impacted your business? I would say it's impacted us. Just things are changing, obviously. We've lost a few advertisers. We've had some that are still kind of on hold because North Carolina still has, you know, some, some businesses that aren't really fully open. So we've lost a few, but then also we've gained quite a few from COVID. So I'd say we're almost at a, at a almost at about zero as far as mm-hmm. no net gain or no real net loss. I mean, we lost some probably at the beginning, but over the past couple of months, we've we picked up new advertisers and new companies that are starting to to get into it. And the economy seems to be you know picking back up you know fairly quickly. It was a little kind of quiet time there for a little while, but good time to get organized, you know, which a lot of other people have been saying they've been doing as well. So I, I would say it's affected us, but it hasn't really it hasn't really hurt us. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't mm-hmm. say it's hurt us. It's been a little bit of a loss, you know. Now you've got 260 structures. How many do you think you've built yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. There probably, <laughs> I'd say we've probably built two thirds of the structures that we have mm-hmm. around there, off the top of my head. Sure. And we've built built quite a few. So you you have been very successful at building. What are keys to finding good locations? Well, the the first answer to that is just persistence and hard work, getting out there and just never quitting. You know, some locations has taken 10 years to actually get them done. And I think just the, the main thing is just persistence, obviously going out and finding visibility, knowing the laws and regulations where you are. Those are all going to go into it. But the number one thing is just persistence and never stopping. And, and then you see a good location, you know it's going to work and you can do it. Then just never quitting. And that persistence is the key. To, to getting and finding new locations. Mm-hmm. And there's so many other things that go into it, like being being friendly and likable. I mean, being out when you're, and being fair, being fair mm-hmm. to people and, you know, not kind of trying to get, always get, I mean, everybody wants to get the best deal, but sometimes it's not all about getting the best deal for yourself. It's about making the best win-win deal. And trust me, Gray, I get calls all the time from landowners who are calling me upset because a billboard company came in and, in my view, took advantage of a landowner. You want to operate in your own self-interest, but if you are overreaching in your lease, you will create resentment and you'll always have it. You'll always have it. And so I agree, you you have to look out for your interests, but you have to also say, I want to build a long-term business. I don't want to just piss someone off so they never want to renew a lease with me. Right, right, and and sometimes you you don't really know. And you know, I had just acquired a couple structures and went out and yesterday I actually just met with the landowner and she was just livid about the past owner. I mean, there was nothing that you could do that, to change her mind about how upset she was with the past sign owner. Mm-hmm. And spending that time with them and meeting them in person obviously was one of the most important things for me to do. And then just being fair with them and them understanding the numbers and just being fair. And you're always going to win the long run when you're fair with people. Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll tell their friends about you and 
everybody wins, and then you, you build a long, long-term relationship, like you said, is key. Let's take a break here for a word from our sponsor. Adomni's buying platform enables advertisers and agencies to easily find and buy your unsold billboard space. With Audience IQ technology, advertisers can target consumer profiles, such as demographics, behavior, and interest, that travel past your billboards. Join the fastest-growing out-of-home network alongside over 200,000 digital screens. Whether you have a Formetco, Watchfire, Dectronics, or PrismView billboard, Adomni is easy to connect. Visit adomni.com or email sales at adomni.com to learn more. Out of home, in your hands. Gray, you've built a lot of structures. Can you give some tips on things you've learned as far as building? Yeah, I think that the economics of it is the key. Obviously, the the type of structure you're going to build, the amount of money that you're going to spend is basically going to be off of the economics of the location. How much rent is it going to bring in? How much are you paying in your rent? And what's the area like and what's what's your lease like? There's so many things that are going to go into that. We've always erred on the side of being very frugal and building. And one of the reasons why was when I first started, one of the the mistakes that we made was we overspent right away. We were were talking about building all monopoles Mm -hmm. and locations where we can only rent them for $300 a face. Mm -hmm. And you can't overspend or else you're going to be in in a bind. You know, you, Mm -hmm. you can't cover the note, you can't cover the rent, and then you have to the only option we had at that moment was to go renegotiate the loan with the finance company and, mm-hmm. and go to interest only to be able to, to continue to build it. And am I right, Gray? Sometimes if you're in a $300 a face market, maybe that's not a 14 by 48 sign. Maybe that's a 10 by 30. You know, maybe it's a smaller sign. And, and I, you know, you're right. You have to be creative, find ways to get your construction costs down. Yeah. And, and, and that, that comes back to the economics of it. And, you know, how many faces are available in a market mm-hmm. and what are the rents that you can reasonably get? You know, just because somebody says that everybody else is getting 900 for a face right there, does that mean that you're going to be able to get 900 a face? Mm-hmm. So I think understanding that too, when you go in is I'm always looking at lower numbers than what would be a projected number. Like you, you can look on a Lamar website and say, oh, well, the stated rates here are 900. But is that actually what they're getting? You don't know. So it's something you have to kind of take into account that just because somebody else said you can get that, you really got to kind of test it. And, you know, maybe you have to go out and talk to advertisers and see what they're willing to pay for a location before you commit to building expensive structure and paying a landowner a good amount of money every year. Great. You're in the Carolinas. Do you use hurricane frames? Mostly hurricane frames. We've done some with, with panels, but the hurricane frames have done really well. Mm-hmm. do have some issues with like the V-type structures with a, a hurricane frame. The wind can kind of get behind them a little bit. And mm-hmm. you do have some kind of maintenance that goes along with that with keeping the vinyls tight on the hurricane frames, which it does happen. But we feel like in the long run for as many storms as we've had and it, you know, probably will continue to have over the next you know foreseeable future, 
the the, the hurricane frames, the wind the wind frames are the way to go for to protect the structure. How do you prep for a hurricane frame? I remember seeing Lamar when the last hurricane came through down in the southeast. Lamar had gone through the market and they had slashed all their vinyls. <laughs> Just literally, they didn't have time to take them down, so they slashed the vinyls so that the wind would blow through. But how do you prep? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I've kind of tried a couple of different things. We've only, you know, we really only had Florence in the 2018 that was really bad. Yes. We've had a couple other ones like Matthew, and we had the one even that came through this year, Isaias. Mm-hmm. And we didn't do we didn't do very much this year. Depending on the severity of the storm would depend on how much we're going to do. In Florence, we actually took down a lot of vinyls. Did you? But really, it comes down to, yeah, it comes down to almost looking at how much it costs to do all that work. Now, if you have mm-hmm. staff that you're paying salary or hourly and they're already going out doing this, mm-hmm. there's one thing. But if you're paying per vinyl to get them taken down and put them back up, and then you're taking down a 10 by 24 that, that you know, is only costing <laughs> you probably as much as it costs to replace it. Yeah, you're you're almost it's it's almost a catch twenty two on should you spend the money or should you just wait and see how it how it goes. Great, so. I completely agree. I mean, I look and say my little plant in the Midwest. If I pay someone three hundred dollars, I pay on an hourly basis. You know, roll the truck. If I have to pay three hundred to four hundred dollars to do an install, and it's a small vinyl, I only get three hundred a month. I send them out. It's three hundred dollars to take it down. I send them out. It's three hundred dollars to put it up. I get $300 a month. I, I've given away two or three months there, given away a couple months of revenue simply taking down a vinyl. It's almost like maybe I'm better off leaving it up. Well, yeah, because you, you can replace the vinyl yeah. for $400. Yeah. And you, you're spending as much as what it costs you just to replace it at the end and just right. take your chances. Because the way these hurricanes work is that they don't, I mean, you're, they're covering a big area, but the severity of them is in a smaller area. We saw that in Isaias, that yes. a small area. And the Oak Island area got hurt, hit real hard, and it was mm-hmm. real small window that was just really bad. And then other surrounding areas weren't so bad. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of the way we're spread out. It, I don't know if I would do as much as we did on Florence again. That was a good learning experience. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I don't know the severity of what would have happened had I not taken all the vinyls down. Mm-hmm. So it, you really don't know. It's almost like just I'm still learning, and we're going to probably still be learning about the best way to handle them. Taking down the vinyls on an at-risk structure that has a wind frame is probably smart, and yeah, maybe a non-conforming one. Yes. You know, which we don't have very many non-conforming ones, but doing that is probably a good idea to just to, to not lose structure. But if you have a conforming sign that it only costs you so much, I, I don't know if I would do a lot of those again. So I, I would pick and choose them very wisely. You've done several acquisitions to grow. What have you learned, Gray? Probably the first thing I would say is go talk to the property owners where the signs are first. I feel like that's one of the, the, the keys to knowing what you've got and knowing where you stand with everything is to, to contact all the property owners and say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm making this purchase or I made this purchase. And, you know, we want to work with you for the long term and, and give them a, a real person to talk to and not just send a letter. And we haven't had a lot of issues with uh, property owners. Mm-hmm. until we don't we don't talk to them or we do not go and talk to them and then you just kind of show up you know you, you just want to get your feeling for what you're acquiring and that's one of the keys i mean obviously if you're buying the land is one thing but if you're dealing with a lot of leases and you don't you, you've never talked to the property owners you might have a lease on paper but you might have a disgruntled landlord so it's a good idea to go talk to them but mainly in acquisitions we look for more of the problem signs that have those type of problems 
Mm-hmm. And we, we're not necessarily looking for the prettiest signs. Obviously, I have acquired a few that are, you know, the nice pretty ones that, you know, that, that everything's perfect on that, you know, have the, the potential for you know, maybe digital or something in the future. But definitely to, to do that, I've learned a couple of lessons on acquisitions, like a, the story I told you about earlier with, you know, just feeling them out. You know, we showed up to put the available on. She's calling immediately and not happy. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to get out there immediately and, and, and try to smooth it over. But I, I like dealing with those things. I feel like that's one of the things that I'm best at is working with people and putting a personal feel to it. And they, they know they, that goes back to being fair to people and and doing what's right and, and being friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned locations possibly to be converted to digital. Do you have any digital signs? And what have you learned about digital, Gray? Yeah, we've got a few digitals and, and we're going to be doing more definitely. I think we've got around 10 or so digitals. It's definitely different. It's a different world, but it's, it's very similar to renting static signs. But it's different because you're obviously you know updating them constantly, and the mm-hmm. best results for these advertisers is to update it constantly. Mm-hmm. But but I, I I like digital. I really do. I think that you know obviously that that's where the industry is going. Whose product do you use? So I've got some from Metco's and Watchfire. Mm-hmm. So that, that's it for now. You know, we, we like both of them. They're both good. Mm-hmm. From Metco's been really good to us. And Watchfire has a really good product as well. Mm-hmm. And we've had very low issues with both of them. So I'm very happy with them. And both have their pluses and minuses too. So it's, it's all, you know, you really have a, a good a good mix out there. And, and we'll probably try some other digitals as well. Mm-hmm. We're trying to find the, the best. Not necessarily the best fit, but we, we're always looking, you know, mm-hmm. to, to do more. So, What advice would you have to someone that's buying their first digital? Probably to not put one where you don't need a digital. Don't put it in a static location, but that's a generic answer. But don't put mm-hmm. a digital where a static board should be. You know, it's hard. You really want something where the traffic can kind of slow. I mean, you, you can put a digital where, you know, it might be a high demand area, but if you can only see one or two flips on the digital, every person that drives by, you're going to have a real hard time keeping advertisers on it. Mm-hmm. So you really want them to be able to see four or five. I mean, you got to have a good read that's got to slow down traffic, having mm-hmm. the location that's visible. And then people can only see it for so long, but you, a lot of times that's what advertisers want. They want that long, that long open read. Mm-hmm. Even if you can't read it till you get closer to it, they, that's what they want. So yep. the, uh, the intersections obviously are the best. I mean, everybody knows that uh, the intersection is the best place for a digital because people just stop and they have nothing else to do but sit there, assuming that they don't pick up their phone or something in the, in the midst of it. So. In terms of location, I, I also think of Bill Rip of Lamar's advice that he says, just because you can put a digital on one face doesn't mean you need to put it on the other side. There's this assumption that every digital you put up has to be a two-sided digital. Well, maybe one of the reads is a left-hand read going out of town. Maybe you don't want a digital on the back. Maybe you just want to have a digital on the front and the static back. You don't have to do – it's not two or none. It it can be one. <laughs> oh, 100%. I, yeah. I would literally – like he's hit the nail on the head with that because I've, I've actually learned that myself. But the hard way, mm-hmm. and now most of the, the new digitals we're going up with, I'm going up with one digital because I did notice mm. that I could have, like when I might have a two-sided digital, I could probably be bringing in about the same amount of revenue with one digital right there mm-hmm. with the advertisers that you have mm-hmm. because not all of them, it's not going to be as much directional as a static board. 
the directionals for are not going to be as prevalent in digital. I mean, they're, they're used for digital, but it's not as prevalent. Mm-hmm. So I would know, I would definitely say that that is another key thing that, that I would take from that is you can, cause you can always come back in and put the second one up. Yeah. Right. Start with one, make right. sure you can fill it up yeah. and then go to your second one. You know? Yeah. Now, what are your views on the automated sales platforms? Adomni, Blip, AdQuick. Are, are you using any of the platforms? What role do you see them playing for an independent operator like you? Yeah, I think I think they're going to be something that you know. Right now, it's it's a little bit of incremental revenue for us. I mean, I'm using Blip, and you know, I'm getting some revenue from it, and uh, I've been happy with it. I really like the system that they have, and and I think that's one of the keys with what they're doing is that their system is great. Uh, you know, it's really easy to upload ads from my phone and mm-hmm. I'm on the go a lot trying to manage all this, you know, with me, you know, myself and one other person. So, you know, the, the ease of their software, the system that they use is great, but I'm obviously, I, I believe in the future that that's going to be a huge amount of revenue for our industry at some point, you know, right now it's, it's growing, mm-hmm. but I think that the ease of it, and if, if they all can kind of get together and work together, it's going to be, it's going to be huge for the industry. Gray, what is one mistake you've made while you've been in the business, and what did you learn? I would say probably the, no, the number one mistake was when we, we first started building and just over-leveraging the, the company. We you know, we started borrowing and not really knowing what we were going to be able to bring in and not knowing you know, really like how much revenue we should be bringing in, how much rent we should be paying, and how much we should be spending for the structures. And so that's probably the biggest mistake that I made that it almost kind of almost put us out of business when we had first started. And back in 2000, that was like 2011 mm-hmm. and 2012 during the, during the recession period mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of starting without really, you know, nothing, you know, not really a lot of money and starting just bootstrapping everything and borrowing a lot of money. You know, I think that's, that's the key is to not over leverage mm-hmm. and to learn. Hey, another lesson is to always get a survey. Um, hmm. I've had to move a sign not too long ago, in a couple of years, but I had to move a sign structure because it was within the setback. Uh, it mm-hmm. was off. It was on the right property, but it was within the setback. So the neighbor said, "Oh, you know, gosh, it's, that could cause you a problem." So always get a survey. I think is probably the key mm-hmm. to when you're building. Are surveys very expensive? Not usually. I mean, mm-hmm. that's. I've spent between, you know, 400 to 1500 on, you know, more intensive type surveys. But mm-hmm. usually when you're just talking about doing one property line, it's not going to be a big, you know, big expense for you. So it will save you thousands to spend a few hundred. Yes. Yes. I think it's smart. And in the scheme of it, you know, if you're if you're budgeting, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40 grand to put up a structure, a survey is not a big number compared to the total size of your project so it's it's money well spent yes yeah and double checking i mean just double checking everything too because so much of that you can do on your own i mean and what we've always done as much as we can on ourselves you know to to make sure that we're off of the right away and the, cause there's there's a lot of that you can do yourself and a lot of that research could be done you can do yourself and save yourself a lot of money as well to just do to get out there and make sure double check everything before you just start going out and doing what you think you can do and to confirm everything with with our acquisitions too we're always going to confirm everything we're always going to check double check everything before we 
you know, write the check. Mm-hmm. So double check everything before we write the check. Yep. That's all for this week. Thanks for appearing on the show, Greg. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. This podcast was edited by Lucas Jones and sponsored by Adomni. You can listen to episodes of the Billboard Insider podcast by visiting BillboardInsider.com or by subscribing to the Billboard Insider podcast on iTunes or any of the usual podcast outlets. Our email is BillboardInsider at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'll be back in a couple of weeks.